they are dismissing, I will uh, just mention that uh, we have been going through a study of uh, the book of Philippians, and uh, we have been looking at verses and uh, each verse and each chapter, and we are now uh, in endeavoring to step into chapter 3, so that's where we're going to pick up our time this morning, uh, Philippians chapter 3, and uh, I really struggled. There's so much in here, rather to break it down in small bites or give you a large chunk. But we're gonna we're gonna read the verses one through eleven this morning, and then I'll see as the Spirit leads how far we go. All right. Uh, so as uh, we're moving about, if you found your place, Philippians chapter three, starting in verse one, uh, let's stand together as we honor the reading of the word of the Lord. And uh, here is what the Apostle Paul says to the church at Philippi. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same thing to you, to me indeed, is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of concision. For we are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he is, that he has whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of Hebrews, and touching the law, a Pharisee. Concerning zeal of persecuting the church, touching the righteousness, which the law is blameless. But what things were gained to me, these I count but lost in Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I counted all things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, of whom I have suffered the loss of things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ, and be found of him, and not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering, being made comfortable unto death, if by any means I might obtain unto the resurrection of the dead. Father, we come before you today and thank you for the writing of the word that Paul gives to the church at Philippi. Lord, on this day, Pentecost Day, we think about the fact that how can we get to know you better? How can we know who you truly are? only through the work and the power of the Holy Spirit of God. So Holy Spirit, we welcome you into this place. Thank you for the worship this morning. We thank you for leading us and, and, and joining in as we worship our Heavenly Father through our, uh, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd move me out of the way and hide me behind the cross, that it not be my words, that you would give me the words to say and know when to, to cease saying and, and Lord, when to call for a conclusion. Lord, we ask that you would lead God and direct us as we hear, receive, and, and then move by the word today in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated this morning. About 20 years ago, there was a survey made of over 7,000 Protestant youth from many denominations asking the question whether they agreed with the following statement. And here's the statement. The way to be accepted by God is to try sincerely to live a good life. Let me just read that question again, or that statement again. 
Do you believe that the way to be accepted by God is to try sincerely to live a good life? Now what they found was more than 60% agreed with that statement. They believed that, that just living a good life would be all that God would ever require of us so that He would then look favorably upon us and welcome us into heaven. Some think that God is simply satisfied if a person lives the best life that he or she can live. Also, they found that almost 70% agreed that if they just tried harder, God would look favorably upon them. I fear, greatly I fear, that many in the church today, many church-going people, rather young people or rather matured adults, if we were to be honest, would have to confess that many of us feel the same way. We have this understanding or thought that all I've got to do is just try my best and God will look favorably upon me. If I can just do better than my neighbor, God will, will, will show favor upon me. But you know, Satan is always good at making things sound almost good, almost right. I fear that many are confused like these young people and how that they can truly know God. Many think that if, if sincerity is a big factor. If I'm just sincere enough, God will let me into heaven even if I'm a little fuzzy on the truth of how I'm supposed to get there. But that's like saying if a man or a woman swallows deadly poison but sincerely thinks it was their medicine and that it was going to do them good, that it'll make them all better. No, all the sincerity in the world will not make you better. All the sincerity in the world will not get you through heaven's doors. Many also think that human effort plays a big role. If we can just simply try better, or, or, or um, even though we're not perfect, if we can just be good enough. Boy, I wonder, who can define for me what is good enough for God? As a matter of fact, the, the Bible tells us that, that God wants us to understand that when we start to define what is good enough before God, that, that the, the Bible says that our righteousness, all of our good enough, is simply like filthy rags when offered to God. So what is good enough? You know, many think that if they just try harder, God will just let them in. If that is what the Bible teaches, then, you know, I guess that's all we need to do. But it's not. It's contrary to what the Bible teaches. Trying your best will never get you into heaven. Being sincere enough will never get you into heaven. What we need is to know God and to know Him better. So, 
Let me ask you to complete this statement. I want. What would you put? Now, that's an open-ended question. We could put all kinds of things in there. I want. If you're single, you might finish that statement with, I want to get married soon. If you're unhappy at work, you may finish that statement with, I want a new job. If you're in deep in debt, you might say, I want to get out of debt. If you're a kid, you might finish that statement with, well, I want a new Xbox or a new iPhone or I want this. But I want you to consider how the Apostle Paul in verse 10 answers that question. That I may know him. I want to know Christ. Now Paul already knew Christ. He he was already a born-again believer. He had come to know Christ through his dramatic encounter on the road to Damascus. But what the Apostle Paul is saying here is that he desires to know God more fully, more deeply in his life. Today, as a Christian, you may know God, but I wonder how many of us truly want to know God more today than we did yesterday? How many of us really want to know God to the level that we can say, I truly know God? There are many wonderful things in life, but knowing God, truly knowing God, is the greatest thing of all. Nothing can compare to knowing Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And so Paul lays out this case for us in Philippians chapter 3 in these first 11 verses causing us to ask four important questions. Questions that if they're answered correctly will lead each and every one of us to truly knowing God in a way that we have never known Him before. I'm not sure we're going to get to all four of those questions because our time is fleeting quickly. But here's the first question. What is in your life that is drawing your attention away from Christ? Now, I want you to understand something. This question is important to all of us. This is a question that Paul asked the Philippian church, but it's a question that we all need to address in our life today because we're living in a day and a time when everything seems to be drawing for our attention. In verses 1 through 3, Paul addresses this question about what is it that's drawing you away from Christ? Paul warns us to watch out for those things that would draw our attention away from Christ. Today, there are many voices calling for your attention in your life, but not all of these voices are the, have your best interest at heart. There are a lot of things and a lot of people and a lot of devices that are calling for your attention, that are drawing you away from God. And they don't have your best intention at heart. No, they have their best intention at heart. Most of them want your attention for their benefit, not yours. And in verses 1 through 3, Paul warns you to watch out for anyone or anything that would draw your attention away from your relationship with Christ. Now, the very first thing that Paul tells us here that we need to be aware of is that there is a need for rejoicing. Let's look at verses 1 and th- uh, again, and he says, finally, and i got to stop right there. 
Um, did you guys all catch that? The Apostle Paul said finally, you know, I, I read a story this week and uh, the preacher had said uh, in a sermon, now finally, and a little boy looked over to his daddy and said, Daddy, what does the preacher mean when he says finally? And the dad said, absolutely nothing. I'm just following Paul's example. Finally, uh, no, what Paul is saying, it wasn't that he was done or had, had finished up everything he was saying. What he was saying was, I'm about to tell you something brand new. I'm about to change gears here and tell you something. So finally, he says, I'm switching gears. I want you to pay attention to what's coming next. So Paul starts and he says, finally, my brother, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. How many of us are rejoicing in the Lord? He tells us to rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble, he says, for me to write these same things again, but it is a safeguard to you. Now what is the Apostle Paul saying that he's writing again? It's not what he's, he's about to write, but it's about what he has already written. Throughout these two chapters that we've already studied, we've seen that the Apostle Paul has told us that we need to rejoice, that there needs to be a joy in our heart. There needs to be a love for Jesus. There needs to be an excitement for Christ. And Paul says, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. And I, 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 I tell you again, not because it bothers me, but because I know that it's important for you if you want to stay focused to the Lord. The very first thing that every one of us needs to do is we need to have our minds set on Christ. The first step in keeping your actions on Christ is to be rejoicing in the Lord. Begin every day with praise to God for Christ. Rejoice in your salvation that He has given you. Rejoice in God's love for you in Christ. Rejoice in the promises that you read every day in His Word. Never, never forget to rejoice in the fact that He will never leave you nor forsake you. When you're rejoicing in Christ, it's hard for anyone to pull your attention away from Christ. If Christ is the center of your rejoicing, He's the center of your excitement, He's the center of your, your praise, it's hard for anybody else to draw you away and start talking about negative things or, 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 or other things because Christ is the center of your life. That's why Paul says, listen, he says this is a safeguard against your mind. He said, what I'm telling you is, is fill your heart and your mind with rejoicing of the Lord and God will protect your heart and mind from all of the onslaught of the evil one. If we want to know how to, to, to stay focused in this world, we must begin with our, with our thought life and, and our words. Paul has already spoken a lot about rejoicing in this letter, but it's no trouble for him to repeat himself again because he says, it is for your benefit and mine. A safeguard against what? Against anyone who would steal your joy by drawing your attention away from Christ. Can I just remind you that a lot of people are, are, are living the Eeyore life, even as Christians, because they've allowed someone to draw them away from their rejoicing. Someone has stole their joy in the Lord. 
Instead of looking at life and all of its problems and say, I know that it's bad, I know that it's terrible, I know that it's hard, but I rejoice in the fact that my God walks with me. I rejoice in the promises that He will never leave me. I rejoice in the fact that my salvation is secure forever and ever. When we have our hearts focused on the rejoicing, the things of this world cannot get us down. That's not to say that the world is going to get easier. It's to say that we can rise above the pressures of this world. The joy of the Lord is my strength. The second thing the Apostle Paul warns us that uh, we have to be careful of is the fact that he says there are false teachers among us. Be aware of false teachers. So what can be drawing you away from Christ? Listening to the wrong things. Taking in the wrong stuff. Now, in in chapter 3, verse 2, Paul uses some very um, aggressive language here. He uses some some, uh, uh, words that just seem to um, really speak harshly. He says, beware of dogs. Now, I've got to stop here and again and just say, listen, for all of you and I that are dog lovers and pet lovers, let me just remind you that in these days that when the Apostle Paul was writing, they didn't have doggies for pets. They were not the, the boss of the house. They were ravages, um, vicious um, predators that were, were, were only around to devour the garbage that was thrown out by humanity. And they were oftentimes vicious in that they attacked people because there wasn't enough food for the the packs of dogs that that would would live in the community. So I'm not talking about your little little pet or Annie's little rat. I mean, okay? I'm talking about the fact that in those days, dogs were considered something vicious. And so Paul says here in verse 2, beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of concision. What Paul is telling us here is that that there is a clear warning here in this context that these are false teachers. These are people that are leading others astray, taking advantage. It's clear that from our text that Paul is talking about those who would focus on circumcision and the law rather than on the relationship of Jesus Christ. They may have been Jews who had been completely opposed to Christ, or they may have been those known in those days as Judaizers. Judaizers were those who preached the necessity of circumcision as well as keeping Jewish law to remain in the faith of Christ. Now what they said was, Christ is good. He was a good fellow. He did a lot of great things. He died, yes. Oh yeah, he was a good guy. But listen, if you really want salvation, you need Christ plus the law. You need Christ plus circumcision. In order for you to be complete, you need these things. Listen, my friends, the Bible is very clear. Jesus Christ is enough. It was His blood and His death and His resurrection that bought and paid for you and I. It is upon His righteousness that we stand today, not upon the righteousness of the law or on some physical act of circumcision. 
But yet these Judaizers were trying to lead the children of God astray by telling them, you're not quite there. You're almost there. Jesus isn't quite enough. It goes back to the question, if Jesus isn't enough, how much is enough? What's enough? It goes back to what I asked before. For those who say that I, if I just live good enough, it'll be all right. What's good enough? If Jesus isn't enough, what is enough? Jesus is enough for us. Jesus goes, or Paul goes on to tell us that Jesus is enough for all of us. So he issues this harsh warning here. These words are laced with irony because Paul uh, addresses these false teachers who were clinging to circumcision and Jewish law as pagan Gentiles. Now, the term dogs here refers to an unclean animal instead of good workers of the law. Paul called them men who do evil instead of those who practice circumcision. Paul calls them mutilators of the flesh. In other words, what Paul is saying is all that they're spewing is just simply noise that is drawing you away from Christ. So what is it? What is it that's drawing you and I away from Christ today? You know, there are a lot of things that we face in this world today. Is it our political stand? Well, if we're not on the right political side of the aisle, then we're, we're really not where we need to be. Listen, if you're basing your relationship with Christ upon your political party, you are in trouble. God is not concerned with your political party. He's concerned with the heart. He's concerned with where you're, what you're living, what you're doing. Well, maybe for some of us, it's, it's all about life. It's all about activities. It's all about um, accomplishments. Are you so caught up in the, the, the things of this world that, that you don't have time for Christ? You know, life is it's so busy, it seems as though today. How many of you have a tendency of saying, life is so busy? I know you don't want to admit it, but many of us, many of us find ourselves so busy that we don't even have time to spend time in this book. If I were to do an honest survey today, uh, you know, a blind study, as they call them, you know, where you could answer without anybody knowing it was you and asked how many of us in this room today actually spent more than 15 minutes reading this book this week, I would dare say the numbers would be very low. You know why? Life's busy. You get up early in the morning and you, you go uh, on a, a dead run throughout the day and, and you're, you're busy with things and you get home and guess what? There wasn't no little fairy there doing the dishes. There wasn't anybody that got the laundry all done. There wasn't anybody that vacuumed the floor. So now guess what? You've got to do all those things when you get home. And then all of a sudden you realize that there's hungry kids or hungry husbands or hungry wives saying, what's for supper? And we're pulled from one thing to the next by the time that we, we realize the, that we've gotten most of what we want to get done or need to get done is done, we realize that it is time for us to simply go to bed. How many of us would find that we have more time for the things of the world than we do of God? 
the reality is that, that there are a lot of things drawing and bidding for our time. Now, there's some of us that find that we have more time for things like sitting in front of the television or, you know, relaxing or recreating or doing other things. What is it in your life? What is it in your life that is drawing you away from knowing Christ better? Because the reality is the only thing that's going to allow you to know Christ better is for you to spend time with Christ. And without spending time with Christ, you are not going to know Him the way that you need to know Him. And I'm afraid too many of us too many of us are spending so much time in the things of the world that we're not spending enough time in the things of God. Today, Pentecost Sunday, is an opportunity for us to renew our commitment to Christ. For us to say to the Lord, those things that have been drawing me away from you, those things that, that have been eating up my time, now listen, I'm not saying that they're not good things. I'm not saying they're not necessary things. But what I'm saying to you is this. Is God a priority in your life or is everything else a greater priority than Him? You see, if all these things are drawing us away from Christ, then what that says to us is that He is not a high priority in our life. He's not the most important thing. He's not the most important person. Spending time with Him is not the most important objective. Knowing Him is not the most important thing. But yet the Apostle Paul says, to know Christ is worth it all. To know Him better, to know of Him, to know of His life, is more important. So what is it that you would have to confess today? What is it or who is it that's keeping you from making that priority? See, the who is probably you. Okay? You get that? Don't point a finger as, as, as Adam did and say, oh, oh Lord, it was her. <laughs> you know, or it was him. Now, the who is you. The what is the things of this world. So I'll ask, what is so important that it is more important than knowing God? I can't think of a thing. Even though I have to be honest with you, there are things that I allow to get in my life that keep me away from God. But I can't think of anything that's more important. But here's the problem. I'm constantly putting things in the way so they seem more important. Today on this day of Pentecost, why don't we call down the favor of God and say, God, would you reveal to me that which is pulling me away from knowing you the way that the Holy Spirit of God has promised that He wants me to know you. 
Would you receive the Holy Spirit in power in your life to, to remove those obstructions and cleanse you? And then say, I'm willing to know you deeper, more faithful. Let's stand together and with every head bowed and every eye closed. No music playing. I want it quiet in here. Uh, just for a few moments. I want you to take the time. And maybe you need to come to the altar. Maybe the Spirit of the Lord is working so heavy upon your heart that you need to come to the altar. If you're here this morning and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me tell you, if you're feeling something, it's the Holy Spirit of God telling you that His salvation is the thing that you're missing in your life. The very thing that you need and the very thing that God wants for you. If you're here this morning and, and you've never received Him as your Savior, I want you to know that Jesus loves you this morning and He has died for you and He wants to save you this morning. He wants to show you a new life. He wants to, to move in with the Holy Spirit of God in and through your life and in such a way that He will cleanse you of all your sin and make you a new creature in Christ. Boy, I can't think of a better deal than that. Take all that's bad and make it all that's good. Maybe you're here this morning and the Spirit of the Lord is speaking to you in another way and you want to come and, and you want to pray. You come and we'll come and somebody will come and pray with you. Maybe you're here this morning and you just need to do business with the Lord and say, Lord, reveal to me honestly that or what is in my way. What's hindering me? What's drawing me away? What's got my attention that keeps me from knowing you better, truer? Holy Spirit, I pray that you would move across this room. I pray that, Father, that you would fill each heart, Lord, including mine, with your power and with your presence. And Lord, I pray that you would spotlight us, O Lord. Spotlight into our hearts and in our minds those things that, Father, that keep getting in the way. Lord, the things that prevent us from knowing you. Keep us from spending time in your word. Keep us from spending time in prayer. Father, we want to know you. We want to know you better. We pray that you would lead us and guide us. And that your Holy Spirit would speak unto us. Holy Spirit, speak. For thy servant is listening.